I went in the room and like shut the door and then I just like sat on the floor and I was like sobbing um Mm -hmm. I just was ugh. going back to that moment is so hard um I was just like sobbing thinking what am I doing who am I like this is not who I am everybody happy new year welcome back to another episode of beyond the picket fence with chelsea and yes i am still chelsea i am so excited for this episode i'll probably say that for every episode for a while because in general i'm just pretty excited these days (laughs) this week we are talking to another one of my sisters if you don't know i do have a lot of sisters and every single one of them has an incredible story so you'll probably get a chance to meet all of them Brinley is a wife to her high school crush, Prince Eric, and they have five kids, seven years old and under, four beautiful girls, and a yummy, chubby baby boy. Those are her words, not mine. Though Brinley is not currently working as a nurse right now, Brinley has been immersed in the fertility world for over 11 years, both as a nurse and as a patient herself. Growing up as Brinley's little sister, well... In the younger years, maybe we didn't always get along. I remember having to ask her for hugs if I remembered on Fridays. And I was kind of an obnoxious little sister because I remember crying a lot. And that my friends would always want to hang out with her and not me. Probably because I was crying so much. Well, that pattern kind of carried out through high school. I know that even my older sister would be asked, Hey, aren't you Brenly's sister? And I was always asked that as well. Brenly is really big, beautiful, blue eyes, blonde, bombshell, super, super fun to be around, and everyone wanted to be her friend, not only because she was so beautiful and fun to be around, but because she genuinely cared about everyone she came in contact with, and that is still true about Brenly. You really can get a feel for Brenly just by the way she said hello. Hey. Hello. I mean, come on, the way she said hello before this interview started, doesn't that make you want to be her best friend already? Like I said in the introduction, she has struggled with infertility, and when I approached her and asked her if she would come on my podcast, I was actually shocked at the subjects that she actually wanted to touch base on. Being her little sister, you might think I may even know what was going on behind her picket fence, but while I thought everything was peachy keen in high school, something else really was going on for her. Let's get to know Brenly a little better. So in high school, I was a dancer. I did baton twirling, show choir. Anyways, all all of that. Um, And being in some of those activities, I've always kind of been like, I have struggled with my body image. I have a very, very large chest, (laughs) Um, and which has like been kind of annoying. I would get in trouble for like showing cleavage at school, not even meaning to. I literally felt like, the only way to completely dress modest was like to wear a turtleneck because I just kind of had larger boobs from a young age. And that really affected kind of how I saw myself. I felt like I always looked heavier than I was. And so most of my sophomore year, I struggled with um, anorexia. Not a lot of people know that about me, that I, I have had kind of body image issues and body dysmorphia for a large part of my life. I always felt like as like a dancer and performer, I should look a certain way. And my body didn't look exactly like the other girls in dance class, um, which was hard for me. And I was a little bit heavier as a as a kid. 
right before puberty. And so I just felt like I, I didn't look the way that I should look in order to, you know, achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve for myself. So I, I did struggle with um, an eating disorder through most of my, my sophomore year in high school. What? How could I have had no idea? This is a very foreign subject to me, and I can't even begin to pretend like I know what she's talking about. So I asked her, what did anorexia look like for you? So, yeah, so there is like a number of eating disorders. Having bad relationship with food, there's different, like different ways. Like you said, like binge eating, bulimia, anorexia. Um, So I struggled with mostly anorexia for a little while and then binge eating. And honestly, like once you have an eating disorder, it's something that is kind of always there that you have to be aware of, like to be careful. Like if I'm, if I'm doing any type of dieting or things like that, I just need to be like hyper aware of what I'm doing to make sure I'm making, you know, good choices for myself. So in high school, when I had anorexia, basically I would just eat very, very small portions of food. I would skip breakfast. I would barely eat at lunch or not eat at lunch. And then at dinner time, so that I thought I was like fooling mom and dad, but (laughs) I'm sure mom probably already knew. Um, I would just eat very small portions. I'd move the food around on my plate a lot and just eat small portions before I like noticed that I had a problem. I was thinking, oh, I'll just become a vegetarian. I'll eat salad. And then I'll, I'll get the look that I want, but I hated salad. Like I hated lettuce and leafy greens. <laughs> so that <laughs> did not work out for me very well. So most, most of the time it was that I would just eat very, very small portions just when I had to, or felt like when I was starting to feel kind of sick. Um, and then I also struggled with binge eating because then I would eat a lot and then feel super guilty about it. I never was bulimic. I hate throwing up. And so for me that like never, that was never part of it. And I thought of eating disorders more as bulimia when I was in high school that like you eat and then you throw up. And so I, for a long time, I didn't really think that it was a problem. And that was like the thing I said all the time was like, I already ate, I already ate. Like when I was at lunch, I was like, oh, I had a big breakfast, but in reality, I didn't even eat breakfast. (laughs) And then when I got home, I would say like, oh, I ate a big lunch and then not eat a lot of the dinner and like drink lots of water to like kind of fill me up. It took Bradley some time to realize she even had a problem. It wasn't until she was on a trip coming home from a high school football game with her friend and her friend's dad. We were out at McDonald's after the football game and her dad was like, aren't you going to get anything? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm really not hungry. And then he was like, you need to eat. Like you need to eat a hamburger. And I was like, I really, I don't want a hamburger. That does not sound good at all. Anyways, he bought me and basically forced me, him and my friend, basically forced me to eat a hamburger at McDonald's because they had noticed that I was like losing weight. And her mom too um, had mentioned like prior, she was like, does, does Brenly know like, if, like if they don't have a lot of food at their house, she can come and eat here. So like people had noticed that I was like losing weight and kind of getting skinny, like unhealthily skinny, not so skinny that because my the thing is like my chest was still large. And so it made me look a little bit bigger than I actually was. Yeah. So no matter how skinny you really get, you still have a large chest. I still felt, yeah, I still felt like I was like huge. So anyways, um, so I like got so sick after they force fed me the hamburger, like sat down yeah. and they're like, we're not leaving until you eat it. And McDonald's so that was like not really a hard. good first meal to yeah. drink a fast with. <laughs> Ugh, that, McDonald's makes you feel sick even when you are eating. So that probably yeah. felt like disgusting to eat that. It did. It, it really did. So now Brunley was becoming more aware. More of her friends were noticing. Her boyfriend was noticing she was looking a little sickly. So what 
prompted her to make the change? I just kind of was in denial about it for a long time. And then I was at dance class um, and I like got super lightheaded. I like kind of like passed out a little bit. (laughs) And then I realized like, okay, this is not good. And it kind of like, it scared me because I had never like fainted or passed out before. And so it really, it kind of like scared me awake a little that I needed to make sure I was like, I don't know, making my body healthy and not just like starving. And so I slowly worked towards like having a better body image. And it's very hard to get out of when you have an eating disorder. Like I said, it kind of like is always with you uh, because you just have to be aware, like making sure you're making healthy choices. But it took me a little while to kind of get out of it and to find healthier ways to like lose weight, but I, like, I've always struggled with body dysmorphia, feeling like I look bigger than I am. Um, and as an adult, that's been hard and been a struggle because like after like going through fertility treatments and gaining weight, um, and then having kids and gaining weight, like it, it's been really hard to make sure I'm like fueling my body in a healthy way and also giving myself grace. Um, like it, I've had to really be very conscious about my relationship with food. And even as an adult, like I've struggled, like thinking like, I should just like, I've tried intermittent fasting and things, but I, I'm very strict about how I do it to make sure I'm doing it in a healthy way. Do you have any ideas for like parents listening and how they could recognize it in their kids and help? Like what would have been helpful? No, I don't know. It's so, it's so hard. It's that's really hard question. Um, I think I have really tried to have a healthy relationship or teach my kids healthy relationships with food where like I try not to restrict what they're eating and just when I'm making dinner for them I try to make sure there's at least one thing I know that they like and then we have like a a, not a rule but like a philosophy in our family that like you can't say you don't like it like the food that I'm making or that we're eating, like you can't say you don't like it unless you've at least tried it one time, but I'm not going to force them to eat food that they don't like. So I know some kids just like complain, like, I don't like it. I don't like it. But my kids have really learned that they like more food than they thought because they've actually tried stuff. So, but if they try and I can genuinely see, like, I know McKinley like really doesn't like beans. And so like every once in a while, she tries them again to see if she still doesn't like them. And she does that on her own. So I just, I feel like introducing new foods and also not forcing them to eat, but still, um, Oh man, my kids. (laughs) Well, I mean, and like my two-year-old is like freaking skinny. I'm like, what can I get her to eat? So whenever she wants to eat, I'm like, okay. Um, and it's hard though. Cause I, I don't want them to like struggle with the same things, like same relationship with food that I had. So it's a hard balance, I think. I and I think I'm still learning. But my kids, a lot of like they like a lot of fruits and vegetables. I try and have snacks, like in our pan in our um, fridge. I have a drawer that's like a I'm hungry drawer. So if they're hungry, there's like cheese sticks, baby oranges, um, apples, cut up cucumbers. I'm not perfect at doing this all the time, but I try to have this drawer so that if they say they're hungry, they're welcome to that drawer at any time during the day or evening like if ever they say I'm hungry I need something there they know that they can get something out of that drawer um and it's a healthy option so they can eat when they're hungry um because it's hard when they want to just snack all the time yeah <laughs> like I need a snack I need a snack so I try and have healthy options for snacks and then I 
don't restrict sugar, but I just try to have healthier options in the house. And, um, and I really try to talk more positively about my body and their body. Like if they see me weighing myself on the scale, cause I still like, I still struggle with how I look and not looking the way I want to, or not weighing the amount that I want to. I've been on like a journey of losing weight for like 10 years. <laughs> um, but I try to like talk about my body more positively. And then like, if they see me on the scale, they want to get on. And so when we, their number comes up, we always share like, Oh yeah, you're going, you're getting better. So like, instead of it being like, Oh, like getting on the scale and like, Oh, I weigh so much. It's yeah. more of like a, they, they want to get on the scale too, which I don't want them to be obsessed with that. But if they see me, they like <laughs> to get on it too. Cause they see it in the bathroom, but we always like cheer for their number, you know, like, yeah, yeah. getting healthy. And anyways, I don't know if any of my advice is good for parents. <laughs> Before we get into this next story, I just have to preface this with do not judge others and be kind. This is a story that makes me look like a horrible human being, but because this is where we shall share real life stories, uh, you're about to see a really ugly side of myself. So here we go. Chelsea Unfiltered 101. No, seriously, guys, please forgive me in advance. You said that there was like, um, after the eight to nine months, you kind of started getting better, but then how it kind of just sticks around with everything. So one of my yeah. most regretted moments of my life is I had no idea you're going through infertility, which is kind of like, you went through infertility very publicly, I feel like. For so portion, like yeah. Hidden behind your picket fence. But right. um, I guess before you were open about it and I was young, I didn't really know any better or know anything. <laughs> but there was a point where fertility treatments did start making you gain lots of weight. And I remember, yeah. and I know that you don't like to be heavy. And so mm -hmm. I was like, Brindley, you're looking really fat. You need to, what did I say? It's the most regretted moment of my life. Still, Oh, you're so funny. No, you're fine. Um, I told Brindley she I, was fat and that she maybe should start losing weight and she flipped me <laughs> off. Which I deserved. Yeah, you had said like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you're starting to get a little bit chubby. Oh, see, you remember what I said. Yeah. I scarred you. Anyways. So at that point. Uh, you, I know the reason you said it is because you were trying to help me because you know that I <laughs> yeah, I'm like just not be. very I'm not very good with my words, but it was unnecessary and I thought Eric was gonna punch me. <laughs> I think he was just like shocked. But the thing is, so at that time that you made that comment, I we had been going through um we'd been trying to get pregnant and we didn't really tell people at first through our infertility journey. Um I know a lot of people who know me and follow me and follow me like on social media. Um, know a lot about my fertility journey because I have like shared it so publicly after a certain point. But when you first start out in infertility, like you don't really want people to know there's like a sense of like shame and guilt with it. And so like I had been taking fertility medications. I had been like, I had stopped like being a dancer really. And was working at a sedentary job where I was sitting all the time and being on fertility medications. And so I think all of those things contributed to the weight. And I don't think it was just the fertility medications. I think it was, you know, my lifestyle change as well since getting married. Um, but yeah, I had been on fertility medications, um, to try and get pregnant for a little while when you said that. <laughs> um, so then which, 
you were also like hormonal and I was so mean. Okay. We're going past that, <laughs> past that conversation. Anyways, it was helpful though, because I, I did at that point, I was like, Hey, I need to like take a step back and look and make sure I'm like taking care of my own self too. Um, and I, and I don't think you realized also like my body image issues that I already had. I think you probably wouldn't have said that if you had known, you know, more. So it's fine. I, I don't hold it against you. You, you punish yourself enough for that. Like what a saint defending me. That is the true character of Brenly. She is seriously the nicest person. Well, Brenly went through a large portion of her infertility journey on Facebook lives here is a quick summary for those of you who may not know her story. We started trying to get pregnant about six months after getting married. And then after we had been trying for about like nine or 10 months, I knew something was going on because the women in our family typically get pregnant pretty easy. And so I like at that point, we already started seeking out like a fertility specialist and went and got tested for things and then got, got seen, you know, by the time we had been trying for about 11 months, 12 months, um, which is, which is typical for usually they say about 12 months after you've been trying, um, to, you know, to reach out for help. So we started fertility treatments pretty early on in our marriage and also pretty young. I was only 21 the first time we did IVF. So before doing IVF, we did three artificial inseminations. We, those were the ones that we didn't really like tell people like we were going through fertility a little, a little bit people knew. Um, but nobody knew once we made the transition to IVF. So, um, an, just real quick, artificial, artificial transmission, is that what artificial you insemination, <laughs> artificial insemination. That is when, so artificial just, insemination like, goes in a cup and then you just put it in with like, like a doctor puts it in Turkey you. baster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like on Jane, the Virgin. you're doing it at home. Yes. Like Jane, the Virgin. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So they take the sperm and then inject it with a catheter through your cervix directly into the uterus. So no so bypasses all of your nothing just. So with that, you take medicine, usually whether it's like Clomid, Femara or injectable fertility medications, we were, I was taking Clomid and the purpose of the Clomid is to help you ovulate more than one egg so that the, there's higher chance that one of the sperm will get to one of the eggs. Okay. So That's why people who do artificial insemination sometimes end up with like twins or triplets or higher high order multiples because you can't it's it's a less controlled environment yeah if you ovulate four or five eggs then each one of those has a chance of getting pregnant so anyways um and then IVF is when they they you take medications to grow your eggs and then they go in with a procedure and basically suck out those eggs into a tube and then they inject the sperm directly into the egg, let those grow for, you know, three to five, six, seven days. And then that embryo is placed inside your uterus. Okay, perfect. Um, so we did, we didn't tell people the first time we did IVF. And then the second time we did IVF, people knew more. And then the third time, like a lot more people knew. And um, we've, so we've done IVF five times. <laughs> Um, the first three times were unsuccessful. And then we just decided after that time and by like round of IVF, I mean, we did a retrieval and a transfer and then another retrieval. And that's when they take out the eggs and then transfer. Some people do a retrieval, have lots of eggs and then just transfer until they get pregnant. But our embryos always, um, like 
they basically died prior to being able to be frozen. So I could only do one transfer after each retrieval. Um, anyways, so after the third round failed, I got into nursing school. Um, we got certified to adopt, ended up adopting our first daughter. And then I was working as a fertility nurse um, right after adopting. And that doctor wanted to do, um, try kind of something new. I, I worked for the doctor I had seen, but he had started his own practice. And so I um, started working for him and we did IVF again. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with my twins from IVF round number four. Um, that we also did um, pretty publicly. And then my fifth round of IVF, um, I actually did like live on Facebook, the retrieval procedure and documented it after having my twins. I had started, um, like a informational kind of like live sessions on Facebook about infertility, like, like all sorts of things about infertility, um, to help people. And then we, the fifth time we did IVF, we ended up getting my fourth daughter. So my first is adopted the second and third are twins from IVF number four. And then the fourth daughter is from IVF number five. And then we got surprise pregnant um, <laughs> during COVID with my son, who is almost a year old now. So um, in a span of what, six years, we had five kids. <laughs> Oh my gosh. After waiting. So by the time we had the twins, it had been six years of trying to get pregnant. Um, and you know, three failed IVF cycles. So after six years of trying with no luck, the next six years brought miracles into Brindley and Eric's life. And one of those being McKinley through the incredible gift of adoption. One of the coolest feelings I ever had. So when I held McKinley for the first time, she felt so familiar. My spirit knew her. I knew her. Like she was always meant to be mine. Like she was my daughter and I knew her. So it was like just a cool feeling. And then I remember when Kennedy came out and she cried and I was like, Oh my gosh, I just gave birth. And like everyone in the room was crying. The whole NICU team was crying. My OB was tearing up. Like everybody was like tearing up. And she cried. And I remember saying like, I waited for the sound for so long. And then they like, I couldn't really hold them because they had to go to the NICU right away, but they put Kennedy on me and the feeling of holding her. I said, Oh, this is just like holding McKinley. So wow, my biological deliveries and whatever I compared to the first time I held McKinley. So really it was the other way around. I was, I was comparing my biological child children to my, my first baby. So from having no kids and desperately trying to having kids, how does life change? We're about to find out right after we take a quick break. Thank you all so much for listening to my podcast. Please, please, please leave a review and let me know how you think I'm doing. I appreciate all of the support I've had and I definitely want to know what kind of subjects you guys want to hear. Do you like the three chords I know how to play on the ukulele? What chord should I learn? Leave a review that will really help me grow my following so I can keep getting these podcasts out to you. Leave a review. Please. And if you haven't already, share. Now let's get back to Brinley with five kids under seven years old.
but I really would like to get more into like, how is life going after infertility having how many, five kids under five kids. seven, <laughs> seven, and, yeah, five kids, seven and under. <laughs> Cause I feel like so, it could be very much like, yeah, I have all my kids. My life is beautiful. Ah, so how's yeah, it really and I, going? <laughs> and I think people see that from the outside too. Um, it's really funny because places I go with all my five kids and they're all young, I get the comments, you know, that you'd expect, like you have your hands full. That's probably the most common thing I hear. <laughs> like, wow, you have your hands full. Um, are these all yours? And wow, you have so many kids. And do you know what causes that? And anyways, how do you feel? How does that make you feel when you hear that kind of stuff? Because I know so, you kind of take everything humorously, <laughs> but like, really- I do. I take it in stride. I know that those comments really do offend some people. And being in the infertility community, especially being on both sides, like both as a patient, um, going through it myself, and then being a nurse and working with tons of patients going through infertility, I know that the comments like hurt a lot of people's feelings. For me, I just, I don't know. I do, I kind of just take it all in stride. And it is a little bit humorous to me because they have no idea what it took to get all those kids here. <laughs> Um, and the years of struggle and all of that. And I am, and I am grateful for all of them, but it is so funny because people are like, oh my gosh, like, how do you do it with five kids? Um, and when people and make I a comment about like. I am one of those like, people that's like, <laughs> you have a million kids. I do. Yes, I, I have a million worst. kids. No, you're not. No, you're not. I do feel like I have a million kids sometimes um, because they all are little. So, so how does that, that go from like not having kids, wanting to be a mother so bad, it's so hard. And then all of a sudden you have a ton of kids. What kind of difficulties really do come with all of that? So as anybody who is a parent knows, parenting is freaking hard. <laughs> um, and I feel like there's a, a disconnect between like going from having none to having one or two or five, you know, however many you have after that, whether it's from fertility treatments, from adoption, from getting pregnant naturally, whatever it is, like once you're trying to get pregnant and can't there can't you can't get pregnant there's a community that is like behind you and people you bond with that all like struggle with infertility once you get pregnant you kind of move out of that club into like a new a new club of parenting after infertility um and then you you kind of like don't feel like you fit in with all of your friends that you made that have been struggling for years and you almost feel guilty. Like when you get pregnant, um, when I was, when I got pregnant with the twins and was working in, at the first fertility clinic, I felt guilty. A lot of the times I felt like I had to make it a point to say like, these are my IVF babies. Like I wanted them to still know I, I related to them and could bond with them. And so that was hard. Like letting myself not feel guilty, like just like being excited for myself almost felt bad. Um, and then also like the people who get pregnant really easy and then they're like, not take for granted their kids, but kind of that, that was like a weird world to be in between. Like I didn't fit in with my people, my friends and people who like get pregnant easily, um, or on their own. And then I didn't fit in with those who couldn't get pregnant yet. So it was like kind of a weird transition there. And then now after being a parent and having so many kids, I understand some of the, like the struggles or the complaining that parents that my friends who were parents had <laughs> that didn't struggle to get pregnant. I always felt like, okay, I need to be really, really grateful and graceful and, um, like always be happy 
about because I finally like I I prayed for these kids, you know, I prayed for to have them for years and years and then and here they are. So, um I not a lot of people know but with my pregnancy with Quincy, who is my almost 3-year-old. So this was my second pregnancy. I had I struggled um with antepartum depression. Um so it's postpartum depression except for while you're pregnant. So, um we were living in Michigan. My husband was in law school. It was freaking cold and dark all the time. I think I also had some seasonal depression with that pregnancy. And so it was hard to know if it was like actually antepartum depression or seasonal depression, but I or just felt the fact that your life was just a lot super you crazy. It was a lot. Kids, yeah. Your husband was gone in law school and you were like across the world in the freezing cold Across for the 10 country months. In the cold. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. World, so it's, <laughs> yeah. It's not like, um, being away from family and all that. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that is a story, I guess, <laughs> beyond my picket fence also, like, I think I could do a whole episode about like being the wife of somebody in law school <laughs> or in like graduate school. Um, anyways, so I didn't really want to open up to people about how I was feeling because I felt so guilty. I felt like, like I, I did this to myself. Like I went, I flew to Arizona and transferred an embryo. Like we knew we were going to be trying to get pregnant. And I like brought this upon myself. I have no right to complain. Um, I I'm so lucky. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have anything to complain about because there are people who can't have like, who haven't gotten their kids yet. Um, anyways, so it was a weird place to be. And I really struggled like, I didn't want to talk to people about it. I, I hated the way I looked. I was so sick. I hated the way I felt. I never saw my husband. I kind of almost felt like I resented my kids a little bit, my other kids. Um, and I, and I didn't know why I was feeling that way. I should have got medicated. I really felt like it was like maybe seasonal, you know, like seasonal depression, but looking back and, you know, struggling after and everything, I just, it was a really, really hard time. I didn't like myself at all. I, took it out on Eric and my kids. Um, and I remember the point that like snapped me out of that a little bit was when Eric, who is my husband called mom and was like, uh, can I fly you out here to come fix her? <laughs> like, because he had never seen me like that. I'm not a super emotional. I mean, I feel emotions, but I'm not a huge crier or like, I have never been like a super, I'm kind of even kill with my emotions. Like I, I don't get offended very easily by comments. Um, I like typically in, when I am like in my right mind, like I forgive easy things just roll off my back. That's, you know, how I, how I normally am, but I felt like completely out of control and, um, I hated myself. I hated the way I looked. I hated how I was treating people. I couldn't stand to be around myself, but I couldn't get away from myself, obviously, because <laughs> I am me in my own head and like with my body. And so anyways. Anybody who struggled with anxiety or depression, I think, can relate to that feeling of, like, I don't want to be, I don't want anyone to be around me because everyone should, like, hate me as much as I hate myself. Like, I'm annoying. I am irritable. I'm not a happy person to be around. And then it just is like a vicious cycle. Yeah. So when you say you took it out on your husband and your kids, do you have any, like, do you have an example of a time of how that happened? Or you can't share CPS might call. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I just like, I felt, I felt resentful inside, like towards my kids. I had shorter temper. Um, 
like that I just would feel really irritable or annoyed or yes, yell at them <laughs> a little yeah. bit. And then with Eric, I just felt like I'd be like snippy and kind of rude and short with him. And which is not like anybody who knows us knows that is not how we are. No, like Brandy and Eric are like the couple that's on their honeymoon for life. <laughs> we're, we're still on our honeymoon 13 years later. Yeah. Like, and I, and I felt bad because that really is like, like that is not a facade. I think maybe people wonder like if Prince Eric and me. Princess Elsa. <laughs> that's the wrong couple. If that's but. like, <laughs> no, if that's like a facade, but it's not like we really like, we don't really, not that we don't ever fight, but like, I don't know. We just, it's like been this, a this little, not how. I think through law school, it was a little bit more bumpy than normal, but. Yes. But prior to this, prior to getting pregnant with Quincy yeah. and prior to going to law school, things had been like cupcakes and roses pretty much you know, in general, not, not perfect, yeah. not saying we have a perfect marriage, but like, we really like each other a lot and, and got along really well. And like, we, even though we went through fertility treatments for the first five years of our marriage, like we traveled together and loved all of that time that we had just with him and I prior to kids. So this was the first time that I ever felt like negative emotions toward Eric, towards Eric, <laughs> yeah. which was saying a lot, like it had been what, seven years of marriage. So eight yeah. years, nine years yeah nine years of marriage anyways so I know so that's I remember something that I when I would with. be like complaining about my marriage to you that both and both of you be looking at me like wow I can't believe she's saying all of this stuff like <laughs> yeah when we hear comments like I wish nope. I never got not you well your comments but oh. in, ge- in general from people no in general from people like like people who get divorced or people who like like friends that are like oh I would love for my husband to be gone all the time <laughs> Like, and yeah, we you just guys would be, be home like, with the kids. Well, was like, what? Like, I was jealous of everyone during quarantine that just got to be with their spouse all the time, like, without their kids at their, like, didn't have kids yet. I, I yeah. love my kids. This is what I was thinking like, prior when I was not in the right yeah. <laughs> state of mind. But, so anyways. there was that of like, you know, you had the post or antepartum, which is during pregnancy. Yeah. And was yeah. there postpartum as well? Yes. Yeah. So I did have postpartum depression also with Quincy, I was a little bit in denial about that. Um, but Eric had an internship for his law firm, um, and was living away from us for 10 weeks. And I had a six week old baby not being in my own space. Um, the thing about living with other people is you kind of feel like you're living in a fishbowl that everyone can like see your parenting. Everyone can see if your kids aren't acting right, ever can see like if you yell at your kids one day or like, just, it's just hard to live in that where you feel like you're being judged. And I'm not saying like my family was all judging me, but it just, it's, it's hard to live with other people like, and try and keep your cool. I felt like I needed to be like happy and myself all the time, but I wasn't feeling like myself and I missed my husband and I was resentful that he was like off being wined and dined by a law firm while I was like (laughs) struggling with my four kids at the time. So yeah, so I, I did have some postpartum depression too. And part and of it that was definitely like a weird that I was there that summer. You were at mom's yeah. house and like I'd be like, oh yay, let's go hang out with Brendan because Brendan's my favorite person. She's so fun. And then I'd go hang out with Brendan. And, and I go, was not fun to I be gotta around. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was not fun to be around. And it was sad and to I, watch. like I didn't even want to be with myself. I just was so like unhappy and like I love I loved my kids, but I hated feeling like I didn't feel like I deserved the kids I have. Like how 
how can I have these emotions or these feelings or postpartum depression? Like that's not something I should have because I need to feel grateful all the time and happy all the time because I am so lucky when other people aren't. Um, so that was, that's like a hard struggle. The guilt of like guilt, mom guilt, Mm -hmm. wanting to have normal, like parenting is hard feelings, but on top of that, you have the, like, I tried so hard to get these kids here. I'm lucky I can have them. Wow. That's a lot to hold. It is. It was, it was really, really overwhelming. Like, I feel like it's not talked about a lot. Like people like, and now I'm (laughs) feeling a little bit emotional, but people going through infertility and then becoming a parent, you almost feel like you have to feel happy and look happy and look perfect for everybody outside no matter what struggles you're going on with because you are lucky whereas some people still are trying and I feel like it's not talked about enough um parenting is really hard like parenting is hard in general um but then having that added pressure of needing to be happy and like being the best parent um it is hard. It is a struggle. And I, I didn't realize that my mental health was not just like, it was, it was hormonal too. I've had problems with my hormones, you know, like, which is part of the problem that I have with infert, like why I'm infertile. Some of my hormones, um, are off and that really can affect your mental health. So I actually, um, got diagnosed with PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And so I feel like that also is not super talked about and is kind of um, like, I think it's a more relevant thing or more popular thing than people realize, like not more, like more common is what I'm trying to say. I feel like PMDD is more common than people realize. Um, Can you tell us what that is? What is PMDD? Yeah. So um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder is where the week prior to your period cycle, you have like depression, anxiety, extreme irritability. So it's like PMS. Like some people I think think like they just have PMS, but they actually have PMDD and probably in reverse do people think that they have PMDD, but it really is. Um, it's like extreme anxiety, depression, extreme like anger and irritability. And like severe cases of PMDD, people have like lost their jobs. Um, because that week they like, can't handle their work. Can't like, you feel like you can't handle your life. Um, and so I have had PMDD, um, hindsight looking back, like once I actually was diagnosed, I think that I did have it in high school as well. Um, and that it's like a cyclic thing, obviously, because it, it follows your cycle. It's the week yeah. usually before your period. Um, and then once your period starts, you're usually fine. So <laughs> it, um, <laughs> Anyways, so it, part of PMDD is that it, as you age, it gets, it gets worse. So before I actually like sought out treatment for it, um, I would like start to feel irritated. So imagine your PMS that you have, but times it time, like, like 10, there were days where I like, didn't feel motivated at all to like get out of bed. Um, I would start to feel like really, really overwhelmed with my life. Like, why did I have so many kids? Why is this something that I prayed for for years? Why, like, you start questioning like decisions you've made in your life, like <laughs> becoming a parent. Um, 
which sounds, it sounds horrible. And I, I don't like saying it out loud because I, I don't want people to feel like I'm not grateful for my kids. Um, yeah, you can, I can see how difficult it is to carry the weight, which I would add to the infertility journey is once you do have kids, you still carry that weight of yeah feeling guilty now that you have kids and yeah. And feeling like everybody's looking at you for that. (laughs) Like we listen to Holly's story about being pregnant, but that type of sickness, not as bad as Holly had, but that type of sickness, like I was really sick, both my pregnancies, the whole time. Like I threw up the whole time and I couldn't decide, do I want to throw up in the toilet or do I want to pee in the toilet? Which one would I rather pee? You know what I mean? Yeah. Pee and throw up at the same time. Yeah. I really, um, yeah, I feel that because so like I even when you were pregnant, I was super sick, but I felt like I couldn't complain about it. Well, and feel, sometimes people's pre- like pregnancy sucks for a lot of people, no matter yes. how hard it was to get pregnant. This is such an injustice to mankind that on top of having the burden of infertility now as a mother, she's pregnant and she feels the burden that she can't just be pregnant and I just feel so passionate about this and so many things there is not an either or in life it is an and situation I had a hard time getting pregnant and being pregnant is really hard we have to start thinking about the and I was wondering at what exact point did Brenly know it was time to seek help for her PMVD when I knew that I needed to get treatment was actually not too long ago. (laughs) Um, In September or October of this year, I talked to my OB and it was something I talked to her about before because she knew I had PMDD. Um, She always offered like, if I wanted to get medicated or if I wanted, you know, to, to treat it, then I could, but I just wasn't ready to take that step. And then there was one Sunday that Eric wasn't at the house. um, And the kid, like I, I was trying to take care of one kid in the room. I think I was changing a poopy diaper or something. And then I went out and like the girls had spilled, dumped the ramen noodles all over my couch. Um, and they were like throwing things around and I lost it. I like, (laughs) I like lost my shiz and was just like yelling at them. And I was like, so this was during my PMDD week. I was yelling and I remember saying like, you guys being a mom is not fun. (laughs) I take care of everybody all day. When you guys are at school, I clean the house all day long. You get back and then it's a mess. And anyways, some of these feelings, like they are valid feelings. And I feel like a lot of parents have these feelings, but it got to like a point where I was like screaming at my kids about this. And then I just all of a sudden I went in the room and like shut the door. And then I just like sat on the floor and I was like sobbing. Um, Mm -hmm. I just was ugh. going back to that moment is so hard. Um, I was just like sobbing, thinking, what am I doing? Who am I? Like, this is not who I am. And so I texted my OB. She's my, my friend too. So I texted her, I texted her and I said, I, I need to get on medication for my PMDD now. Like I'm, I'm ready and I need to do it. It came to a, like a head that day. And I had already texted her, but Eric got home and I guess McKinley was like, don't go in the room. Mom is freaking out. And he said that they were like cleaning up the house and she was like, everybody help clean. Like, anyway, so she recognized that I like really was like losing it. Um, 
anyways so he came in and I was like crying and he's like maybe you should reach out to your doctor I'm like I already did I know I needed to start medication so so with PMDD you can actually be on a medication for like 10 days prior to your period and then you stop on your period and then so as long as you have regular cycles that's kind of how how it works but I our family we have a history of anxiety and depression (laughs) strong on both sides of our family. And so I actually just made the decision just to be on it all the time because I didn't want to be like trying to track. And then if I missed a day and getting off and on. Um, so since taking that medication, I like, I have enjoyed my kids, which has been so awesome. I love hanging out with my kids. I love being a mom. Like, yes, there are hard times, but so this has been since like October. So really kind of recent October, November, December, January. So like the past like four months, I have loved being a mom. Like I feel more myself. I feel like I love hanging out with my kids. I like doing stuff with them. I like actually playing with them instead of just like zoning out in my, like on my phone or doing something else, like being away from them. I crave time with them, um, which I haven't felt for a long time since they were little, you know, Um, which makes me cry because I feel like this this is what I've been waiting for. And like, even though I feel better and more myself, like, yes, there are still hard parenting moments, but it has allowed me to like feel myself again and feel like the best mom that I can be. And I have more patience for them. I have more patience for myself and I like myself more again. (laughs) And I like, um, I just, I, I love being a mom and I feel like, man, I should have done this so long ago. Like I should have worked on my mental health and gotten help sooner because this is like, this is the life. Like, (laughs) like it still is hard and having five little kids is hard, but like, I love them and I am so grateful for them. It's so interesting that in order to learn some things and see the blessings, you really sometimes just have to go through it. I'm so grateful for the insight that Brindley got into mental health through this journey. Obviously, mental health is being talked about more and more. It's not as taboo as it used to be, um, which is great. I think that's great because then people aren't afraid to talk about it and connect with other people. Um, But really, I think being open to making improvements of your mental health, like it doesn't mean you're weak. There are like literally scientific reasons why people have anxiety or depression or, um, you know, postpartum depression or antepartum depression hormonally, there are things off that medications can help fix to get you back to who you are. And it doesn't mean that you're weak or that you can't do it on your own. Like sometimes you literally, like if you break your arm, you're not just going to like wish yourself out of it or act like it <laughs> isn't yeah. there. Like you get the help, you know, Yeah. you put a cast on and you heal it. You take medications for the pain. If you need it, like mental health is, is similar to physical health. And there are things that you can do. Not everybody has to take medication for it, but you know, but it is a great option for people. And I, and I hope that people know that. And I, and I really just not that people need to be complaining all the time, but there are a lot of people who struggle internally that they don't want to reach out for help because they don't want to appear weak when we all are like silently struggling. (laughs) I never realized how many other people 
like when I see TikToks or reels or memes about being a mom of little kids and it's like solidarity, you know, <laughs> to mm-hmm. what you're feeling. I'm like, oh, other people are struggling with some of the same things as me. Not everybody like loves to be a mom 100% of the time. Yeah. So there, but not like, everybody loves to be anything 100% of the time. And that's true. what we need to talk about is like, everything's 50, 50, right? Like there's going to be 50 good, 50 bad, and it's all beautiful and wonderful, which made me want to ask you, like, go looking back, like, I don't know, the goal of my podcast really is to also see the good through all of that. And mm-hmm. so like, is there anything good or beautiful or whatever that you feel like grateful that you did went through all of that? Oh, absolutely. I like, I have been able to like going through infertility, I was able to connect with my patients on a personal level um, of being empathetic and sympathetic. I had gone through it. I could, I could help them through that. So infertility and, and being an infertility nurse, that, that was amazing. And then understanding other people, like I, I kind of felt like when, once more people started talking about mental health, I felt like depression and anxiety or postpartum depression. I felt like it was almost like a trend that people were trying to just like hop on a trend until I experienced it myself. I realized like it's, it can be debilitating. I'm also guilty of being one of those who really had to go through it before I understood that medicine was necessary and that I couldn't just wish my problems away and have a stronger brain. So I'm so grateful as well to have gone through those things to learn a better outlook. Another thing about Renly's situation is it always seems like she happened to be in the right place at the right time. And she also saw a lot of miracles. I talk to people, people, and I, and I'm like you, I love hearing people's stories, but I feel like we're placed in people's lives and people are placed in our lives at certain times because that's who we need. When we were struggling to get pregnant and we're looking into adoption, the neighborhood that we were living in, we met three couples that went to our church that all had adopted and helped us through that process. Um, and, and we had moved and there were um, people who had had twins that I connected with, um, at the time that I needed that. And I feel like I, being a fertility nurse, I have been able to help make a difference for people struggling with infertility because I've been through it a time that I felt like I'd seen, I'd seen a lady and I felt really, really prompted and inspired that I needed to just like connect with her and talk to her. And I was like, this is dumb. Like, I don't want to go talk to them. Like, not that I don't want to talk to a random stranger, but like about to tell her about that. I'm an infertility nurse. Like why? Like, anyways, just assuming people are infertile is not a really nice thing to do. Um, <laughs> and so I just like, I went over and talked to her and I was like, Hey, um, and then she's like, good. And so we kind of got to know each other, just like literally just like 10 seconds of like small talk. And then she had said that she was there on vacation with her husband and her like eight month old baby. And I was like, why am I feeling like I need to talk to her? And so then I was like, she has I told her, I was like, I know this probably sounds crazy. Like it probably really sounds crazy, but I really felt very prompted and inspired, like to like connect with you and tell you like, I, I am an infertility nurse and I work for a low cost fertility practice. And it was, she literally was looking at me like, cool, like, okay, cool. <laughs> Why are you talking to me? But 
a year later, a little over a year later, she sent me a message through Facebook. She had found me. She sent me a message through Facebook. And she said, I just wanted to let you know that I, my husband and I, like my son got diagnosed with some like rare genetic condition. And my husband and I need to do IVF with genetic testing for our future kids. And so like, wow. and so the low cost center, like she, anyways, so it was just really, it was just really cool that I was like, why do I feel like I need to talk to her? And then later on, she needed all the information that I had. So it was just bizarre. Going into talking about where are we now? What's going on now? Turns out it kind of wraps all back up into the beginning as that all these medications for mental health, a lot of them, the side effect is weight gain. Yes. Wrapping it back to the beginning, like right now, like this year for 2022, my word for the year is focus. And I, I'm finally focusing on like my mental health, my spiritual health, my financial health, my physical health. Um, and doing a little bit each day to contribute to those. So I don't have like set goals of like, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week or, you know, I don't have those specific exact goals, but making sure that I'm doing something every day that is good for my physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health, and my financial health. Like those are um, like my four goals just to do something small each day. So for this whole year so far, which I know it's only, what like the <laughs> the seventh seventh every day I like have gotten up at six and ran a mile for my physical health and also for my mental health <laughs> <laughs> um anyways so, so that's been good and so I really am just trying to give myself grace because I feel better mentally and feeling better mentally I have felt more motivated to work on my physical health as well so and with that I asked and I'll always ask what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? Having being a parent after struggling with infertility, there's so much pressure to put on that positive face and to show only the perfect. And I feel like it's even more pressure to hide the mental struggles behind. If you're having any mental health struggles, anxiety, depression, anger, feelings of mom guilt, I feel like people don't talk about those because we have been praying for so long to have these kids. And it's like, you almost like, you don't get to talk about that because this is your own fault. You brought this on your own self. And I want people to know, you know, that that is okay to still have all of those feelings, even after, you know, praying so hard to, to even get your kids beyond my picket, picket fences that I, I have felt inferior and I have felt not good enough and that I wanted to be such a good mom. And I have felt disappointed that I wasn't living up to like the mom I thought I should be. And that I could be, especially after struggling to become a parent for as long as I did. When I was, when I had just adopted McKinley and had just had the twins, I was like riding a high, like I finally got these babies that I, and McKinley, like my two-year-old, I had finally gotten all these kids that I had been praying for. I finally got to experience pregnancy. I got to experience being a mother. And I was like riding a high. I do you remember that shirt that I had that said being that has, that says um being a mom is my jam? Yeah. <laughs> I wore that all the time and I wore it with pride. And I like I was like, this is what I like. I love being a mom. And then my t- twins turned 
two and a half. And then, and then I got <laughs> pregnant and had antipartum depression. And then I like, with and two and a half year old twins. Yeah. And more and more stuff, you know, started happening in, in my life. And I, um, I haven't worn that shirt since the twins were little, like I, because I felt like a fraud. I don't know. It's really hard for me to feel like, uh, I don't want to be a disappointment to my kids as a mother. And I don't want to be, it doesn't really matter what other people think. But for me, it's hard for myself to think about how much I was resenting my kids or feeling like I didn't deserve the blessings that I had. Like that was really, it's hard for me to think about that. And I just feel so happy that I am back to feeling like myself and to truly enjoy being a parent. Still sometimes feel overwhelmed. Like one of my five-year-olds like has a really hard time listening and like is just like a space cadet off in her own world all the time that it's hard to like deal with that sometimes. Like, why are you not listening to me? Like I asked a million times, everyone's going to have those moments, but because I went through those like really dark times, I taste the sweetness of motherhood so much more now. Like I feel like I could wear my shirt that says being a mom is my jam <laughs> again, because I, I really am enjoying it. And I think that really is like my picket fence. <laughs> Everyone knows the infertility part. And the journey to have my kids, everyone knows about all of those things about me. Well, not everyone, but you know, like people who follow me on social media and my friends, my family, like everyone saw and us. When you say friends, you have like seven, all of your followers and friends on Facebook are like actually people that if you have like 12,000 <laughs> friends on Facebook, she probably knows and talks to each of one of those people. <laughs> Everybody oh, wants know, to be friendly. A lot of people in my life. And I love, like, I love, I love my people. Like I, I love my people. Yeah, I feel like there, like a lot of people have seen all of those things, and I share those struggles, the struggles of infertility, pu- very publicly, um, and our story and our journey to our family. And so, I guess my that's like my picket fence that I have hid behind, or things that you don't see that people haven't seen or noticed about me is like feeling inadequate as a mom. And feeling like I'm not doing a good job and feeling undeserving of the children that I prayed for and feeling like uncomfortable in my own skin. Like those are all things that I have struggled with. And yeah, yeah. well now, now is everyone's going to know. And in true Brenly fashion, she's already utilizing what she has learned to help others. And she recently made a friend who opened up to her about her mental health issues and they are now kind of checking in on each other and making sure each other are okay. Yeah. Every, everyone has something going on behind their picket fence. And I don't know why people are so afraid to to show it and to talk about it. Yes. It makes us vulnerable, but nobody is, you know, nobody's white picket fence is truly a white picket fence. There's something going on behind it for everybody. Other people view us in better light than we view ourselves. I think so getting to the point where I can see myself in the light that other people view me in, you know, is a goal of mine <laughs> to, to like myself more and to love myself more and to give myself more grace because I am an awesome mom. Being a mom is my jam. Being a mom is her jam. And I hope next time you see Brenly, she's wearing her favorite shirt. Thank you 
guys so much for listening to another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. I'm so grateful that you guys are here. And if you haven't already, go to the Facebook page at Beyond with Chelsea on Facebook and interact. Thanks for sticking around to the end. As a reward, here's one more golden nugget from Friendly's interview. It's not that I, I'm not like a person that is like gets embarrassed easy or like isn't willing to talk about my struggles, but to put it all out there, it like shatters the, like not, I'm not worried about my image, but I want, I want people to see me as I feel I truly am. Like, yeah, I, I am a friendly person. I do love, like, I, I want people to see that because that is who I feel like I am, but then drowning underneath and all of this other stuff. So it's yeah. hard to balance the two. Yeah. I want, I don't want people to see me as perfect. I want them to like image people have of me from getting to know me, like that I'm bubbly, that I'm outgoing, that I, I enjoy hanging out with people. And I like my battery recharges by socialization. That is all part of who I am. And in motherhood, I feel like you kind of lose yourself and it's hard to remember who you were outside of being a parent. Okay. You officially stuck around to the end. Thanks so much. Bye now.